Hey, what's up, everybody? You guys were much more excited about the app than the last service. Don't know what that means, just saying. Real quick, Jamie, can you pull that slide up that had the um, regional conference information on it again? As I'm turning. Okay. Look at the, everybody, look at this with me for a second. So Brian Tome, you guys know him, senior pastor of Crossroads, church of tens of thousands. And then Wilson. Is it just me or is Will trying to mimic Brian Tome's facial expression? <laughs> well, he did a pretty good job. Let's give him that, you know? Give, yeah, give him a round of applause. Also, um, Van is looking pretty styling today. Did you guys see his new jeans, new shoes? Still waiting on that new haircut, but it's coming. Okay. So speaking of Van, a couple of weeks ago, Van launched us in a new series here at the church called Intimacy with God. And the main premise of this series is that Relationship with God was never meant to be transactional, but always meant to be relational, okay? So transactional, that's like going to the grocery store. For me, picking out some uh, flaming Hot Cheetos, frozen pizzas, cans of Skyline Chili. I have started branching out, and now I make portobello mushrooms, so that's good. Pick that stuff out, <laughs> go up to the cashier, and I have the things that I want, and they have something, I have the things I want from them, they have something they want from me, and I give them the money, which is what they want from me, they give me my groceries, which is what I want from them, and we move on. It's a transaction. Unfortunately, a lot of times, we, myself included, get stuck in thinking this way about our relationship with God, don't we? It's like, okay, God, what do you want from me? Well, I guess I'll read my Bible, try to do it every day, but give me every other day if you can, God. I'll pray, um, I'll tithe, I'll go to church each Sunday, I'll do my best to love my spouse, love my family. And uh, if I do that, God, will you bless me, give me the job that I want, bless my relationships, bless my bank account, supernaturally raise it a couple of thousand dollars, you know? (laughs) And that's like our relationship with God. But... The thing about relationship with God is that it's not about getting something from him. It's about getting God. That is the point, is getting him. And I can remember the first time that I ever experienced intimacy with God. I was in ninth grade, and in ninth grade I began to make a bunch of dumb decisions like a lot of 15-year-olds do. Drugs, alcohol, you name it. And uh, I was a conference Christian in that point of time in my life. So with that, what I mean by that is that I would go to this conference at the church I grew up in every year, big old youth conference, probably 800 to 1,000 students would come and there'd be worship and sessions. We'd be at Vineyard Tri-County all week, do outreach. Any of you ever heard of SOS before? So it's SOS. And uh, I would get on fire for God there and be like, God, I'm going to read my Bible two hours a day, every day for the rest of this year. I'm going to fast from everything. And, 
And it would last for about three days. And then I'd kind of get back to the real me, you know. I had my Christian Luke and then the real Luke. Um, Double-sided. And then another conference would come up in the fall. Same thing would happen. And so that was kind of like what my faith was like growing up. Um, But I remember particularly in ninth grade, I was at SOS, and I had been, you know, like I said, getting into drugs and alcohol and other stuff. And I was standing there, and a a worship leader named Matt Redman was leading worship. Any of you guys heard of Matt Redman before? And so Matt Redman, he was actually introducing a song. I'm pretty sure this was the first time he introduced it publicly, and it was the song, You Never Let Go. And so he's introducing the song, You Never Let Go, and I'm standing there listening to the words. And if you know the song, the words go, Oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go in every high and every low. Oh no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. And I was hearing those words and they were just piercing my heart. And I was just realizing, um, man, God loves me so much. So much that in every high, you know, most people, when they think of every high, every low, they think in the good times and bad. For me, it was like every time I was high, even then, even when I was high, God never let go of me. And I just realized how much he loved me. And I loved him back. And it was just a beautiful moment right there. And I could, that's the first time I can remember experiencing intimacy with God. And man, we're going to talk more about it, but that is what we live for. That is the number one thing we live for. So we're going to look at John 15, uh, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to pull out nine truths about intimacy with Jesus. So if you want to turn to me to John 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 to start. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Starting in the first verse there, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I want to focus on that phrase, I am the true vine. As I was preparing, I read that and I thought, I wonder why he said, felt the need to say true vine rather than just I am the vine, you know? I wonder if there's any significance there. So I looked up what the Greek word was for what the English translators wrote down as true in that verse. In case you don't know, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And then that got translated to English, which is what we have, which is why there's so many translations of the Bible. Each one is trying to get more accurate to what the scripture was originally saying in the Greek language or the Hebrew language. And so the word for true there, um, there's actually two words in the Greek that mean true. And the first one is kind of just like that which is real, that which is actual. Um, And that's not the word that Jesus used here. 
He used a slightly different one when he said, I am the true vine. And the Greek definition of that word true means opposite to what is fictitious or contrary to what is counterfeit. So there's a slight nuance. Do you see that? The first one is like, this is what's real. The second one is like opposite of what's fake. And I think the reason why he chose to use the second one, like opposite of what is counterfeit, is that there are many false vines that people attach to to try to get life from. You know, I, in my life, I've tried to attach to having a good time, drugs, alcohol, sex. I've tried to attach to money. I've tried to attach to status. I've tried to attach to relationships, to friendships. Tried to attach to all these false vines to try to find life. But what Jesus is saying here is that I am the true vine. If you really want to find life, if you really want to find love, attach to me. Because I'm where it comes from. Yeah. And what's cool is that God designed us with a longing in our heart for him. But when we, you know, Adam and Eve sinned and then became sin and passed on the sin DNA to every other human being that would be born from them. Um, when that happened, things got distorted. And so we had this longing, this almost like emptiness in our heart that we're looking for things to fill it. But we go to other things rather than God. You see, God designed us that way so we would always want more of him and never become independent of him or self-sufficient. But we go to other things to try to fill that emptiness, to try to fill that longing. And what Jesus is saying here is that I am the only thing that can fill that that exists in every single human heart. And so the first truth I want to pull out is that if you aren't intimate with God, you are intimate with something else. That we were designed for intimacy and we're going to seek it out. So if it's not with God, not with what we were created to seek intimacy from, it's going to be in some other way that's only going to leave us feeling more empty than we did before. Moving on, the next part of that phrase, and my father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser is just a farmer, takes care of like grapevines and What this means is that the Father is constantly moving our relationship with him into a healthier place. He does this with gentleness, but he's constantly tending the vine of our relationship with him. And so that leads right into verse 2 then. Jesus says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Let's stop there and focus on that phrase. Don't know about all of you, But when Jesus says that every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, that frightens me a little bit, you know, because there's been plenty of times in my Christian walk where I have not been bearing fruit. And so like, what's the cutoff? Do we get like a month of not bearing fruit? Bearing fruit, by the way, I mean, being like our faith is being productive. Our faith is resulting in um, the the thoughts, actions, and behaviors of Jesus. So, If I go like a week, am I good? What about if I go a month? What if I go a year without bearing much fruit? Am I going to be taken away? Is that what Jesus is saying here? No, in case you were wondering. Um, So what is he saying? Well, I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 to explain this. So turn with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a famous passage where Paul is talking about reconciliation. 
So we're going to start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the important part. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I used to have a flawed understanding of what it meant when I was reconciled to God. Here's what I used to think. I used to think that because of sin and my sin, that there was a barrier between God and me. And that God couldn't reach out to me even if he wanted to because of that barrier. Not only was there a barrier between God and me on God's end, but on my end, I wasn't choosing to be reconciled to him. I didn't desire him. So there's a barrier on my side as well. Barrier on God's side, preventing reconciliation. Also a barrier on my side, preventing reconciliation. And so what I thought was that when I repent of my sins and ask God to forgive me, that I push my stuff out of the way and turn to him. And then he sees that I've turned to him, so he pushes the stuff on his end out of the way, and then we're reconciled and in relationship. That's what I used to think. But that's not what that passage says that we just read. No, that passage says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. At the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, sin was dealt with past, present, and future. So that there is nothing between God and humanity. There is nothing left that needs to be reconciled there. All that God is waiting on is for humanity to choose to be reconciled to God. So sin is already forgiven. It's not sin. It's not forgiveness of sin that gets us into the kingdom of God. No, what did Jesus say in John 3? You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again, right? You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Meaning that sin is forgiven already. Our sins are already forgiven in Christ. But when we choose to enter into relationship with God, then he makes us new. He doesn't force us to do that. You can't force love. Love has to be freely given. You can't force something to happen freely. So God is reconciled to us, and he is waiting for us to choose to be reconciled to him. And truth number two then is this. Those who are not born again do not experience an intimate relationship with God. So God's made the way for us, but now we have to want it. We have to desire it. And if we don't, if someone never is reconciled to God, if they never choose to be born again, they won't ever have that intimacy that they were designed to live off of. And so this makes me think of the time when I accepted Jesus as the Lord of my life. Um, I think before I was 19, I was probably saved. But again, I was a conference Christian, and I don't even know if I was. Um, so when I, where I see myself really entering into a relationship with him was at age 19. Um, I was living with two friends. One of them was a nominal Christian, meaning that he went to church every Sunday with his parents, but never really made it his own. And then when he left his parents' house, he stopped going to church altogether. Other friend was an atheist. Quick side note, the first friend, if you know Aaron Ross, he 
got involved with house group a couple years ago. Then last summer, Aaron invited this guy to come to house group, the young adult ministry here. And I didn't know that Aaron knew this guy, but Aaron brought him. And then his first night at house group, my friend Tyler, they used to live with, accepted Christ and got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And he still comes around too. So it was really cool. Um, By the way, um, in the last 48 hours, two people have come to Christ through power evangelism from people at this church. So, so good, you know. Um, That I know of. There could be more at this point now. It's happening so often now that we don't even, we can't keep track of it. Um, So, anyways. Yeah, so I was living with Tyler. I had another friend named Pete also, and Pete was an atheist. Now, to give you some context to my interactions with Pete... My senior year of high school, I was in a world history class. And up until this point, I'd never really heard anybody intellectually challenge my beliefs or my faith. I'd always be like, yeah, God is real, of course. You know? But in this class, the teacher was an atheist. And the teacher started reading us some literature from Karl Marx. And the uh, quote that he started with was that religion is the opiate of the masses. And then went on to say all this stuff, just kind of bashing um, belief in God and, and religion. And I remember hearing that for the first time, and I just, I was angry. I got angry that anyone would try to challenge what I believe. And I was insecure. And I just wanted to intellectually body slam anybody that was saying this stuff, you know? And so I dove into uh, debating with all my friends about whether God was real or not to kind of fill that insecurity. And Pete was one of them. And I would debate with him and debate with him and debate with him. It never went anywhere because my motivations were insecurity and anger. And uh, he never got closer to Christianity because of that. In fact, he only got more grounded in his beliefs. And it was just frustrating. And I remember sitting on my bed in that apartment in Clifton after one of those arguments about one in the morning. He used to stay up to like four every night back then. And I uh, heard God speak to me. He hadn't spoken to me in a while. You know, I graduated from high school. No more conference Christianity. And I wasn't feeling especially, especially spiritual. You know, it was just like God that he spoke to me when I wasn't seeking him. I wasn't feeling like I hit rock bottom. I wasn't anything. He just spoke to me. And he said, Luke, how are you going to lead anybody to follow me if you're not following me yourself? And I, the words just pierced my heart, you know. I'd heard that concept many times before in sermons, in books, in the Bible. But it never really affected me like it did in that moment. Because God was speaking it to me right there. So on that bed, that bed that I probably had girls in not weeks before, I grabbed this Bible that I hadn't read before started reading it, and I've read it basically every day since then. Um, And that intimate moment with him just started something that has been indescribable for me. But the sad truth is, unless people are born again, they never get to experience that. And God is constantly reaching out to us. The reconciliation has already been done on his end. He's waiting for us to reach out to him. So, moving on to verse 2 now. 
Second part of verse two, Jesus says this, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. That term pruning is an agricultural term. I uh, grew up farming because my grandfather was a farmer. He grew corn and tomato and watermelon, cucumbers, a wide array of other fruits and vegetables. And he would sell them on the corner of Springdale Road and Brem Road right here in Coleraine. And so I worked there for a number of years and I'd also help him farm. One day he took me out into the tomato patch and he walked me up to a tomato plant and he said, Luke, look at this tomato plant. I'm like, okay, looking at it. It's like, what do you see? Well, I see a big stem in the middle, a bunch of branches coming off of it, and then fruit, tomatoes. And he's like, okay, what do you see that's wrong with this? I'm like, okay, so I'm looking and I find this little brown spot right here, but I couldn't really see anything. I'm, I don't know, Grandpa, what's wrong with it? And he said, take a look at this branch right here compared to the one right above it. So I looked and the branch, the top branch was one that went way out and had tomatoes hanging from it. But the branch right under it only went out about this far, had leaves, had other little stems going off of it, but no fruit. And so I was like, what's wrong with that? And he told me that is called a shoot right there. And that looks like it might bear fruit, but it never will. It's just a growth that's coming off of the stem that sucks life and nutrients out of the plant. It prevents more from getting to the tomatoes. And I know that it seems like we're going to be harming the plant when we cut these off. But really, we are helping the plant direct its nutrients and its life to the fruit so the harvest is greater. And uh, what I want to tell you is that if you choose to want intimacy with God, he's going to start pruning things from your life that hinder it. He's going to start cutting off those shoots that look like they could be giving you life, but they won't be. They'll be just distracting you from him. And see, God wants to be priority one in our life. He doesn't want us to like become monks, you know, maybe somebody, but I'll ask him who the monk is supposed to be and I'll prophesy it to you later on in the service. (laughs) Um, But he wants to be priority one. And you know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So when we make him priority one, it blesses every other part of our life. But when anything else in our life, relationship with spouse, money, job, anything else goes ahead of his priority, then that's when we start to suck life from the only thing that was meant to give us life. So he will prune you. Um, And then truth number four that comes from this, fruit is the result of an intimate relationship with God. When we have intimacy with God, fruit, we we should expect to see fruit coming out. So moving on to verse three, Jesus says this, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. I don't know about all of you, but does this kind of seem like a random left turn thing to say right now? He's talking about um, a vine and a vine dresser bearing fruit, pruning. And then he just says, you're already clean because of the word which I spoken to you. Go take a shower. That was the word which I spoke. Yeah. Um, no. You were already clean. So I was wondering, why does he kind of do this? And what I came to was that Jesus has been talking so far a lot about doing you know, about making sure that we're pruned so that we are 
bearing fruit and we're not losing fruit and all this stuff. But what he's doing now is stopping and declaring to them the truth about their identity so that no kind of works mindset can creep in based on what he's been teaching before. So he says to them, you are clean. Yes, I'm going to prune you. Yes, I want you to bear fruit. But first and foremost, you have been purified, sanctified, justified, glorified in Christ. And nothing that you do or don't do can change that. In fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. Again, this is Paul talking to, again, the Corinthian church. Verses 9 through 11, Paul says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Key verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The scheme of the enemy is to get the unsaved to believe they're clean and the saved to believe they're unclean. The enemy wants the people who don't know God to be like, oh, I live a pretty good life. You know, I love my neighbor and I try to do for others what um, I'd like for myself. So I'm good. I don't really need to know God. And then he tries to make the sons and daughters of God think, man, I'm really failing as a Christian. Like, I read this book, all the stuff I should be doing, I'm not doing hardly any of it. Does God even care about me? I must be so unclean, so unworthy, so unfit in his eyes, you know. And both of those are lies. You see, in that passage we just read, it starts off kind of scary, like, wow, okay, if we don't, if we do any of these things, then we are not inheriting the kingdom of God. You know, some are uh, revilers, swindlers, drunkards. So it's like, shoot, if I... You know, two new two New Year's Eves ago, I think I might have drank a little bit too much. Like, am I not getting in now? Or, man, reviling, so speaking negativity. Like, I was speaking all kinds of negativity about my boss to my friends the other day. Am I not going to get in now? Swindlers, so cheating. You know, I, I cheated on my taxes this much. Like, am I, not, am I not getting in now? That's what we're tempted to think. But then Paul says this. This is what you used to be. But now, this is who you are, washed, sanctified, justified. And uh, what this reveals is that neither the righteous nor the unrighteous are in their present state because of what they have done. People that have not accepted Jesus yet, they're not unrighteous because they sin. They're unrighteous because they haven't been reconciled to God and born again. The sin's been dealt with already. The righteous... We're not righteous, you know, the saved, the Christians, the believers. We're not righteous because we earned it. We're righteous because Jesus earned it for us and freely gave it to us. And so since we didn't earn it with our behavior, we cannot lose it with our behavior. We cannot dwindle it with our behavior. We cannot enhance it with the things we do or don't do. It exists and cannot be taken away from us. And so the truth then here is this. God will not withhold intimacy from us because of our behavior. I told you about um, 
the first time I experienced intimacy with God and that song played. What I didn't tell you is that that was day two of the conference, Tuesday night. Um, Before that, we had gone on Monday evening, had a worship set and a teaching. I left that and went to a friend's house, got drunk and high and passed out. Woke up at 8 a.m. to my alarm, hung over, got to church and was there for the first session, went out, did some outreach on Tuesday. Tuesday night was when Matt Redman played and I heard that song. And after that, after that moment of just feeling the love of God, I went front to receive prayer. And there are these two guys up there and I didn't know them from anyone, but they would be the first two people ever to speak prophetic words over my life. A prophetic word is when God speaks through one believer to another. And so I go up to them and they start praying for me and they're praying differently than anyone else had prayed for me before. Most people that pray for me, they just kind of say these eloquent, long scripted things, or maybe not scripted. Maybe they're really coming from their heart, but just speaking a lot of words. And I'm okay, that's inspiring. Great. You know, but they're praying differently. They would pray for like a couple sentences and they'd stop and listen. They start praying again, stop and listen, start praying again. Finally, one of them said to me, Hey, uh, Luke, do you happen to have any brothers? And if you know me, I've got two younger brothers. So I said, yeah, why? And he said, are you the oldest? I'm like, yeah, why? (laughs) And he said, well, I just saw that you're going to be such an example and such a light to your brothers as what it looks like to be a man of God. And I was thinking, you obviously have the wrong guy, you know? (laughs) In all seriousness, I was thinking, you wouldn't be saying those things if you would have seen what I was doing last night, you know? Like, that's not me. If anything, I try to hide what I do from my brothers. I can never be an example to them. Then the other guy, I didn't say that, I was just thinking that. Other guy says to me, oh yeah, I I agree with that, but also I see that you're going to be leading God's people like King David. And I'm like, Now you guys are way off, you know? Like, I'm never, I can't, I can't even lead myself. Like, how am I going to lead anyone? If anything, I'm going to lead them straight to sin, you know? I'm, I could never be that. You guys got it wrong. You're obviously not hearing from God. That can never be true for me. And uh, I'm going to tell you the conclusion of that, but just as a side note, it's just like God, you know, to do that. They hadn't seen what I was doing the night before, But he had seen what I was doing the night before. And despite that, he still reached out to me in love and intimacy and spoke those truths over my life. It's just like him. So fast forward a number of years at my college graduation. I'd already accepted Jesus, December of 2013. And I had a party that night. Had friends over. House group was about 11 months old at this time. So there's a number of house group people there. Some of them are in the room right now. And um, my family was there. And so they uh, were having a good time, having fun. And then my dad stands up and says, okay, everyone, now we're going to share stories and affirming words about Luke. And so everyone starts saying nice things about me. And I think Will told a funny story about some trouble we got into. and had a, And so that was funny to hear and cool. And then uh, someone else stands up to share a story. And I was surprised because it was my youngest brother, Kyle. And Kyle stands up, and I never heard him say any of this stuff before, but he says, 
You know, Luke, I saw Luke before he accepted Jesus. And, uh, he's, you know, he, he witnessed all the good, bad, and ugly. I remember a time um, being in my dad's face and him kicking me out of my house. I pack up my wrestling bag, put stuff in it, start walking out the door, look over at my 13-year-old brother just sobbing because he had seen, so scared by what he'd seen, you know. Kyle, he'd seen all of that, but he said, I saw Luke before he accepted Jesus, but then I saw him after, and he changed. He really changed. And now, he, I, I want to be just like him. He's a man of God. My brother Joey stood up right after him. Luke is such a light to me, such an example to me about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to be just like him. And I heard that, looked around and saw all these people that I was leading. And boom, right there, the two words came back to me. You be an example to your brothers and you will lead God's people like King David. And I just stood there in awe of God. Like, man, God, you could do that with me. You could do that with a guy who was not living for you at all, had no interest in you. You can turn his life around like that. And I just felt that love all over again, that intimacy with him. God will never withhold intimacy from us because of our behavior. Notice that night that I went in hungover, he didn't speak to me about changing my ways. He didn't, speak, he didn't try to convict me of my sin. He didn't try to get me to do good things. He spoke destiny over my life through them. It's just like God. And that flows right into truth number six. We don't earn intimacy with God. Can't get more of it by doing good things. Can't get less of it by doing bad things. Okay. Verse four, Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Um, That word abide is not one that we use quite often. Anybody use the word abide aside from any kind of Christian activity over the past week? Okay. Lee Marsh, one of the pastors, came up to me after service and she said, Luke, I use it this week. I was like, how? And she said, I buy some groceries. It's <laughs> like, first off, that's incorrect grammar. <laughs> What does that mean, abide? You know, it's a weird word. Well, here's how I want to explain it. Think about an abode, okay? So an abode is a home. And I think intimacy has to do with finding our home in Jesus. In fact, in another passage in Matthew 10, Jesus uses the same Greek word that John uses in this passage when he says abide. And I want to read that verse real quick to help understand what it means to abide in Jesus. So if you turn with me to Matthew 10, Jesus is instructing his um, main disciples to go out and do the same things that he had been doing. Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick, and casting out demons. And so this is one of the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples. Chapter 10, verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay 
or abide at his house until you leave that city. So Jesus instructed the disciples to, whenever they entered a new village, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons, to stand at the outskirts and look out at all of the homes. Could be hundreds of them, you know. And to be like, find the one that you're supposed to stay in. And stay in that one the whole time until you go on to another village. And so I really love that metaphor when talking about what it means to abide in Jesus. It's kind of like this. In any circumstance, situation, decision, endeavor, we can stand at the outskirts and look at all of these different abodes that we can choose to go in. There's one where Jesus is. Choosing that one is intimacy with him. If I am going through something tough, if I've lost someone or some other tragedy, I might be tempted to choose the home of getting hammered every night until the pain goes away. I might be tempted to choose that one or I can find the one where Jesus is and choose that one. If I lose my job and I'm stressed, you know, I could choose the home of self-pity. I'm going to go there. That's just, that's how I'm going to deal with this. Could choose the home of fear, of anxiety. Or I could be like, where is the home that Jesus is in? That's the one that I'm going to. So truth number seven is this. Intimacy with God is choosing him in all situations. Lord, I don't care what's going on, what I have to do. Where are you? That is where I want to be. I want to abide in you. Here's the amazing thing. We can choose to go to different homes every time. We can be so unfaithful to him and not abide in him when we want to. But truth number eight, God always abides in us. He will never leave us. No matter how unfaithful we are to him, he will always remain faithful and choose and stay, stay with us every single time. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of existence. Let's wrap this up. Take a look with me at verses four and five. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can only do the things you want to do for the kingdom if you have intimacy with God as priority number one. We will never accomplish our dreams unless intimacy with God is the first priority. So truth number nine is this. Intimacy with God is the key to accomplishing your dreams. Now this can sound transactional, right? I got these dreams, these things I want to do with my life. Okay, if I just have intimacy with God, then I'll get those. Okay, so I'm going to have intimacy with God, right? Okay, got it. Let's be intimate. Okay, now I get to do this, you know, <laughs> right? It can sound transactional, but here's the thing. Intimacy with God starts like this. God, I don't care if I never do any of the things I dream about doing. I don't care if I never accomplish what I want to, what I want to accomplish. As long as I have you, I thank you that I'll be just as happy, just as fulfilled, just as satisfied in this life because you are enough. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The man who has God and everything else he could possibly desire has no more than the man who has God alone. And so as I think about my own life, 
I'm living my dream right now. I'm getting to be at this amazing church, lead and build the ministry of house group with all my best friends and mentors. I got it pretty good, you know? I'm pretty fulfilled. But the temptation for me is to start finding the fulfillment in those things rather than in Jesus. And so here's a prayer that, by the grace of God, he's had me pray probably weekly for the last three years. It's this. God, I don't care if house group sovereignly ends tomorrow, Vineyard Church Northwest disperses and everybody moves on. I thank you that I would be just as happy and satisfied if that happened than if it didn't, because I've got you. You are where my satisfaction comes from. You are where my joy comes from. You are where my peace comes from. We were designed for intimacy with God. So many other things look like they can fulfill us. There's only one that can, and his name is Jesus Christ. Close your eyes with me for a second. I feel like there's some people that God is going to bring into his kingdom right now. So it's awesome. If you, if you remember, truth two that I shared was this. Those who are not born again do not experience an intimate relationship with God. If you are someone who has never been born again, never been made new by Jesus, never had that intimacy with him, but you would like to have it, please just raise your hand right now. If you're somebody who has had that in the past, but it's been a long time since you've been serious about it, I want to give you the chance to raise your hand. And if you want to be serious about it, raise your hand right now. Awesome. Six, seven, eight hands. Okay. Pray this prayer with me. And everyone, let's all say it together so that um, no one's embarrassed. Jesus, Jesus. I I love you. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. You are the Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my life. I believe you are God. I believe you rose again. Make me new, God. Holy Spirit, fill me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's probably 10 people that said that prayer. Let's clap for them. It's awesome. If that was you, I highly encourage you afterwards, come up and give prayer, get prayer. We'd love just to pray for you and bless you. We'd also love to know you and get to know you better. So that's all I have for you guys today. Thanks for listening. Will's going to come back up now. Take us through the next part.